Hi, everybody. This is Cam, and I'm with Rebecca for another episode of Coffee Meets Bible. And today, we have the honor of interviewing Eric Lige, who was featured on our second episode of this series. Welcome back, Eric. Hey, it's good to be back. I'm so excited about this. Yeah, thanks for coming on again. So last time we interviewed you, we got to hear a little bit about your work with, you know, multicultural worship music and your experience leading um, the worship team for Urbana 2018. Um, and, you know, I, I've seen your social media posts and I know that you have a huge heart for justice and caring for the marginalized. And so today we want to hear a little bit more about your perspective on what's going on in our society and how we as a church should respond with love. And so do you mind just telling us a little bit about your experience, your personal experience with social injustice and discrimination? No, I don't mind at all. Thanks so much again for having me here. And I I will speak from my perspective as, you know, we have so many diverse um, experiences and expressions. But for me, uh, interestingly enough, recently I spoke with some students at Surrey University in, in the United Kingdom. Oh, cool. And and that was just what last week. And I shared with them how as a black American um, living in this country, uh, I think it's it's nearly impossible to escape injustice because, you know, racist thinking practices and Mm -hmm. and actions are so deeply ingrained into the core foundations of American society. And Mm -hmm. for me, I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. And Lake Charles, Louisiana, and we kind of moved back and forth, and we would call that the Deep South. Mm-hmm. And um, and something about the South, I meant for those of us who've studied American history, we know that the disparities there are, uh, you know, there's so many disparities there. And for me, growing mm-hmm. up, it was ever present. And so the way things were set up, I think, through, let's say, slavery and then Jim Crow and then mass incarceration for black people in the South, it continues. Those disparities continue to to deepen. For me in Alabama, I lived um, in a black community and that black community called Inglenook was adjacent to a white community called Tarrant. The, the way the zoning of the school systems were set up, black students were zoned to attend a different school than the white students. And so mm. while that white school was only, you know, within walking distance of my house, we had to take a bus to go 20 or 30 minutes, uh, a 20 or 30 minute bus ride in mm-hmm. order to go to school. And so my mom had to pay for me to go to the school nearby my house, even though it was a, pub- a public school. Oh, damn. And some of my experiences in, you know, being in that particular school was, um, you know, being called the N word, uh, being called the F word for gay people, being, you know, all these different macro and micro aggressions, um, mm. just, you know, attending that white school. And one other um, way I felt I was directly impacted. We also attended. It's interesting. My mom thought it important for us to go to a black church, but also like a, I guess, a integrated, a, they would have called it multicultural, but I'll, you'll explain <laughs> that I don't <laughs> think it was necessarily multicultural <laughs> here in a moment. I attended this church where the larger percentage of the attenders were black. It was black and white people, but the leadership of the church were 100% white, with the exception of guests of the the one maintenance guy who was African American, mm. um, and the and the the worship team were all white, mm. 
And in fact, I was the first black person to ever be on that worship to serve on that worship team. Really? You, know, you would have thought that I become the mayor of Birmingham once I made it up to the team. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so many stories, you know, stories of getting pulled over by the police, followed by the police. Um, I had a gun pulled out, you know, on me. Just just so many different stories of experiencing injustice. And then that doesn't even speak towards some of the social, you know, stuff that, that we encountered. So Wow. I I guess I can't like even imagine or comprehend what that must have been like having that happen just over and over and over again. I'm sure that's definitely impacted your life and your view of the world, maybe even of the church. How would you say that this uh, affected your personal relationship with God? I would say, I would speak first to the collective and then to the personal. A pillar part of the Black community is the church and our faith. Mm -hmm. And so I would say my understanding of God um, has been shaped by a theology of liberation and protest. I mean, after all, we are Protestants here, Protestant (laughs) Protestant (laughs) Christians here. Um, But we also have to remember, speaking of the South, that many of our leaders... um, during the civil rights movement, they were clergy, they were pastors, they were preachers. Dr. Martin Luther mm-hmm. King himself was a reverend. And so mm-hmm. that kind of helped to un- uh, shape my understanding of God, just being a part of the black community because the the, the black church ministers to the people socially, physically, spiritually, and, uh, and meet us with all those needs. So having said all that, I, I found in the Bible that God is a just God and who sent Amen. Jesus to justify and to make wrong mm-hmm. things right. And so I believe it really breaks the heart of God when people are not treated fairly and with equity. There's so many examples of Jesus coming to the rescue of people who have been outcast and marginalized in society. And I, I think of a Bible verse, um, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, where God speaks through this this prophet saying, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. So for me, when I would open this Bible, even in my youth, and read the stories of oppression, the oppression of the Israelites, and, and God's liberation of them, I would see a parallel of the story of Black people in America. And when black preachers would preach this, you know, liberation for us and, and singers would sing of how we are able to, to, to get through that same God who saw the three Hebrew boys, you know, through, mm-hmm. um, out of the fiery furnace who rescued them. I think my faith in God was not, it was, it was strengthened um, and it made, and it continues to make me a stronger believer knowing that if God could do it then, God was and is still capable of doing it again. And so I believe though wicked humans, you know, try to destroy um, certain parts of humanity, God saw fit to, to deliver us. And so Mm -hmm. that has strengthened my faith, Rebecca. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I love that you can see the parallels between the Israelites, the Hebrews, and all that they had to go through, <laughs> and and seeing that in the history of the um, of America, I know you're definitely, definitely, definitely not the only one who has gone through just a life full of discrimination. How have you seen your other, I guess, brothers and sisters 
affected by or face like similar things? How does that even like affect their faith? Yeah, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. I do believe people respond differently to life circumstances and situations because we're all shaped by different experiences, even within, let's say, since I'm speaking as a black person, uh, and even within black diversity, you know, mm-hmm. uh, what kind of household did we grow up in? You know, what what shaped our faith, whatever. So I would say there's been a spectrum, there, there's this spectrum where for some people they they clamor or cling more to God and to faith and run in that direction. And for many others, they go the opposite direction. They become mm. discouraged. And, and I'll be honest, I've been discouraged for so long by what feels like a lack of care or concern for issues of injustice um, across the board when it comes to mainstream evangelical Christians in this country. Mm. Many have wanted to, to quickly move to Uh, unity and hope and peace, you know, and all that's great. And that is a good end goal, but they want to do it without ever uh, desiring to lean into atonement. I see. You know, in order to reach conciliation. And so I think this lack of addressing social ills in the mainstream Christian church in the United States of America have led to a mass exodus for some of our friends. Um, They've left the church some have left the faith. Some have not left the faith. Some have said, hey, I'm leaving the church, but I'm holding on and clinging to the faith. Mm. Uh, mainly some of my younger friends. And just this week, I had two conversations with two friends who just kind of opened up and said, hey, I went to Christian college with them, by the way. And they're like, hey, I don't I don't believe, you know, anymore. I'm, I've wow. kind of walked away. And, and it's because of the discouragement that they felt. But I would say this. Um, because their faith was rocked by, has been rocked by the silence mm-hmm. of the mainstream evangelical Christian church. I will say that I am feeling more encouraged these days by this younger generation who have this hope and this demand for change. And I've not seen this before. And I don't say this like I'm 100 years old, but I was born <laughs> in the late 1900s. So <laughs> they had this faith and this hope and this really demand, like, hey, we demand change. you know. Um, yeah. And while some of them may not be actively involved in churches at the moment, I think their faith is, it's activated and they're feeling compelled to live out their faith on college campuses and, and out here in their communities. And I, I believe there's a light and it's, and it's shining in the dimness of a broken world that we live in. And they're becoming the hands and the feet of Jesus, even in these marginalized spaces. That's so great. As I'm just listening to you speak and having this conversation and Mm -hmm. even just checking my own heart in the middle of it uh, Mm -hmm. as I'm asking questions and things, (laughs) um, I guess I'm just realizing how big of a conversation this really is, much bigger than I thought it would be. Um, Because I have to admit, I definitely have fallen or probably still very much fall into the category of being, um, you know, very passive, very silent, mm-hmm. um, not, I guess, empathetic enough to mm-hmm. uh, my marginalized brothers and sisters because I have to admit, I've had a pretty cushy life. Um, <laughs> haven't had mm-hmm. to experience much of this. And so I want to apologize on my personal behalf and on behalf of those who relate a bit more to me. 
for being silent. But this is why we want to have these kinds of conversations and learn more. Yeah, I, I, I will say this I, I, because I, I do want to acknowledge um, this moment. Thank you so much for sharing your heart. Um, and, mm-hmm. and thank you, Rebecca and Cameron, for creating this space um, for this type of conversation. This is exactly mm-hmm. what is needed. So I am grateful and I know so many, so many people who will have access to this podcast will will be grateful for being able to listen, to, mm-hmm. to sit with their thoughts, to sit with their feelings. This is just another step. And so I just want to say I appreciate y'all for opening <laughs> this space and creating it to, um, for us to have this conversation today. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree, like, with what Rebecca was just saying. Um, We just had, like, a social injustice series at my church, and Mm -hmm. we had a time where, you know, guest speakers were brought in. And I think it was also a big wake-up for the majority of our congregation. Um, You know, I kind of wanted to transition into this next session, um, just talking about, you know, how racism has been part of our nation's DNA since the very beginning, really. You know, Mm -hmm. as you just talked about, African-Americans have been treated very unequally since um, you had to go to different schools, like you just mentioned, mm-hmm. um, separate drinking fountains, right? Denied mortgages, different um, areas where you could buy property, right? Um, the list goes on and on. And that's just what I know. I, I'm not even African-American. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then, yeah, at the same time, Asian immigrants, they also face the same hatred mm-hmm. and this backlash right when they started coming over to the United States. And even now, Asian-Americans are being bullied. They're being yeah. beat up. They're even being killed just um, it's because repulsive. of COVID stereotyping. Right. Yeah. And, you know, going on with the the whole Mexican border mess that just happened over the past few years, um, there's just been a lot of hatred and discrimination towards Latin Americans as well. And so there's no doubt that racism exists still. And unfortunately, it really hasn't changed at all mm-hmm. over the last couple hundred years. And it's affected the majority of Americans in some way or form. And so what boggles my mind is like, you know, at the same time, America has become the largest missional country in the world. We, we send out the most missionaries. We have them the most amount of resources for doing God's work, right? And so mm-hmm. how is it that we as a nation can understand the importance of sharing about God's unconditional love, but fail to love one another at the same time? Cameron, that boggles my mind as well. <laughs> <laughs> it boggles my mind. And, and and I think this is an interesting question uh, because I, I don't personally feel married to the we as a nation, you know, um, part, mm-hmm. uh, as, uh, as one who, whose people, as we just finished saying, have been subjected to oppression by the, the very nation that we are part of, it, it creates these conflicting feelings. Um, but I must admit that I, I've held onto the we loosely for years, um, mm-hmm. leaning in, but holding on loosely to the we, and I'm, I'm very much American and I'm very much Christian, but I realized that I, uh, that we are not a monolith. Um, mm-hmm. I think this is a great question, honestly, to ask a, a Christian from a domin- from the dominant culture, because <laughs> <laughs> I, I really can't unpack that for them. But yeah. what I can say is this: that I believe that this is a time of reckoning, and I believe that the message of the gospel is pure and that it's true. We, the messengers, do not always carry the right motives. 
Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that all the missionaries were bad mess- messengers, but I, I'm not willing to say that the early colonizers were bearers of the truth, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I think even as I sit with these thoughts and these feelings as, as we're sharing this, there are two words that are coming to mind for me is that word of condemnation and conviction. And I feel like Holy Spirit probably wants us to know that we can't confuse those two words. Scripture shows, tells us that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But the Holy Spirit brings correct, uh, conviction, and where there's conviction, there's room for correction. And I think the mm-hmm. difference between the two, the con- with condemnation, it's like it's shut down. There's no hope, zero hope. Mm-hmm. With, with conviction, um, there's room for hope. There's room for growth. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would convict the hearts of Jesus' followers. As David in Scripture says, search my heart, O God, and see if there's, there be any sinful or evil, wicked way in me. That if there are any compartments in our hearts that God uh, would you know, want to get access to, that we would allow God to have access there, and that our motives would line up with the mission of Jesus and that is to love people, to love our neighbors. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. I don't even know if that answers your question, but I had that to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It, it definitely, I appreciate the fact that you brought up that, you know, it's hard to say we as a nation, right? And I do apologize for saying that. I, I tend to say stuff like that all the time, like we the church, right? But yeah, I think if anything, what we've been seeing over the past couple of years is that there definitely is a divide mm-hmm. and there's definitely a lot of difference between our our fellow churchgoers. And so, um, yeah, it's really important, like you said, that we focus on, you know, what the Great Commission is, mm-hmm. what Jesus has commanded us himself and, and what that means for us, right? Um, and, you know, that kind of also, when you were sharing, I, I was just thinking, I'm just curious, like, what what is the missional culture like in the African-American church um, uh, from your perspective? Like, do you, do a lot of people seem to be pushing to, like, go overseas um, or is that more of, like, I guess the white evangelical church yeah, culture? Great. I think it's a great question. And I wish I could have 200 people sitting here with me to give all yeah. their different perspectives. <laughs> but my, my perspective and my read on that, Cameron, um, and I read it carefully, uh, of course, you know, knowing that I'm just one voice. Mm-hmm. But I believe for 401 years, um, I think it was 1619, the first 20 ish um, slaves came to this country. But for 401 years, our missional focus has, has been on community for the most part. Mm-hmm. on caring mm-hmm. for each other, on taking care of one another, on loving, you know, and, and making sure that we we stay alive and that we keep roofs over our head and things like that. So I think sometimes when we think missionally, we think overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, but in many ways, because um, many African-American community, many people haven't uh, immersed themselves or been a part of African-American um, communities, they may miss out on what's actually happening there in, you know, um, 
in the streets, on the ground. And so I believe um, the African-American community is extremely missional in, in that we are communal. And I think that's a, a lot like Asian-American community. I speak broadly, of course, <laughs> that we're communal people and that we care for one another. We care for our neighbors. I'd imagine there are some African-Americans who are going overseas and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. There is black diversity, but I think for the most part, based on my experience, many people are doing their, their missional work right here in, in their communities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate you answering that because, yeah, that's exactly what we want to talk about is just missions isn't just overseas. It's not, there's no one way to do it, right? right and right. so <laughs> I think having those community aspects in a church is really, really important. And that alone is what gets people to come and to to stay coming, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I would add to this, and I, I'm always the challenge. I'm ever the challenger. So I, um, I, I think about how over the years, so many have flown into other countries, but their way of getting to the airport was driving through a community where they locked their doors and clenched their purses and their pearls and everything else mm. in order to get to that airport. Mm -hmm. Kind of like ignoring what was happening in their own front or backyard. Mm -hmm. And I, I, that's the motives that I'm, I, I'm speaking of. Sometimes I think we go and we do good things, be it right where we are or overseas, to make ourselves feel good versus saying, this is what God has called me to do. Because mm -hmm. I cannot comprehend how we can go into a place and give away some things as if, oh man, this is so loaded. As if everything should be one-sided. Like I have something to offer, but those people have nothing to offer me. I think in the kingdom of God, it, it's a, a mutual thing where we all have something to bring to the table. Where one may have money, another may have joy and peace and mm -hmm. and and and. Um, the aspect of community. I won't go too deep or far with this, but I just, that's one of the things I, I, I do challenge sometimes that be careful of hopping in a car, driving to an airport, locking your doors and, and you know, it, avoiding the, the people in our own communities in order to go do quote unquote good for someone else in another, in another country. And I encourage people to do good, but I also mm -hmm. encourage people to live that incarnational life of being a part of the community that God has called them to, because that's where they're going to live and breathe and do most of their, you know, their activities in the first place. So. Mm. Yeah. I Great answer. love <laughs> that you shared that. Um, just because, oh, I have to find it. But it reminds me of a book that we went through um, a couple of years ago at my church. It basically touched on all of that about mm. how to um, minister to people without having, like, you know, the savior complex. Oh, so good. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, I just wish I could think of what it was called. <laughs> I guess I wanted to take us into talking about um, practical application because I need tips. I don't know what to do. I don't know, you know, your life story. I'm mm -hmm. learning a little bit more, which I'm very, very grateful for. Um, in fact, I... So this is actually my first time meeting you, but I did have the privilege of editing episode two from last year. 
So I kind of feel like I know you pretty well. We are connected, <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I was just so blessed by your episode and, um, you know, just hearing you talk about how music and worship specifically can be that venue for bridging like a multicultural church. Mm-hmm. And so with your experience in that, wanted to ask how we the Asian American or (laughs) white evangelical (laughs) church (laughs) can um, be open and be able to change or mold our perspectives. Do you have any tips for us to see these kinds of issues as, well, actual issues that we Mm -hmm. need to address and even as missional opportunities to... um, display God's love and grace in a healthy, helpful way and not like, you know, a holier than thou (laughs) self-righteous way. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Rebecca, for asking that question. And, Mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll, I'll speak, uh, first into the idea of, let's say, seeing past our differences, because I know sometimes it's easy to try to see past our differences in order to worship God as, as one people. Mm-hmm. And, and I think as someone who facilitates intercultural and multicultural worship spaces, I, I'm, I'm prone to encouraging people to lean into their cultural differences rather than seeing past it. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I've grown in my understanding of who I am in Christ and who he, and who God has placed me on this earth to be and how I live out my life on this earth. Um, I encourage people to embrace their own unique expressions of worship. Um, worship being that, that deep honor, that deep devotion, which makes the body of Christ beautifully diverse and more, um, whole. I think, um, Cameron and, and, and Rebecca, I think, uh, <laughs> I'm thinking back to my, my 11th grade anatomy class where I learned that there are 206 bones in the body. <laughs> and and you're like, where is he going with this? But there are 206 <laughs> bones in the body and not every bone looks or functions the same. And yet it makes a whole body. It makes one body. And I think the church mm. of Jesus Christ is a, is a global body. And mm. we are one body with many functions. And I think each function is an outward expression or an act of worship to God. Um, so I just wanted to say that and, and to really lean more into the, qu- the question you just asked, um, how, can I, how can this one body, how, how can the body of Christ, the church, deepen its perspective and understanding of caring for those who are marginalized? And I've kind of broadened mm-hmm. out the question a little bit on issues of um, uh, injustice. I think it's interesting because I was just having this conversation the other day with my mom and, and something that came up is how Jesus lived out or embodied his mission to bring the good news to those around him, as well as in the world, um, through feeding hungry people. Uh, Jesus fed, you know, the 5,000 plus people, healing sick bodies, mm-hmm. weeping and crying with those who had lost loved ones. I mean, we, we see that in the story of Lazarus. Um, and in other words, I think Jesus's mission was to live and to breathe and to move amongst everyday people, to sit with their stories and to look for ways in which um, he could bring good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to prisoners, recovery of sight to those who, who might have lost their way. And 
and to set the poor and the marginal, the marginalized free. Mm-hmm. And so um, you ask specifically, like, how can, let's say, Asian American or a white church or whatever uh, partner together with um, African Americans? Mm-hmm. And I would probably say it in this way. How can our different communities see each other's humanity, yeah. respect one another's humanity, and lean in to, to, to learn from and to, you know, just to be in community together, understanding that, wow, God has made us beautifully diverse and we all have something to offer one another um, and so that practical step of just making ourselves more accessible, uh, to, to, to learning, um, from one another and leaning in growing up in Birmingham, Alabama and Lake Charles, Louisiana, our, our family, we always lived in black communities. And so we understood what it meant to be black. That's who we were. Um, and I think at some point we started attending, I, as I mentioned, a predominantly white church as well as school. And at that age, I started learning, um, I think, a heck of a lot more about white culture once I started going to a, a white school and white church, a white culture in the South. And my understanding of white culture continued to expand. And then in 2000, the year 2000, I moved here to California and I attended um, college and my circle of friends grew. I mm. spent some um, some of my time with international students and even attended a Chinese fellowship um, for a time in Escondido, California. Oh, nice. And and I was the only black person in the room. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I had the honor, though, of learning about and learning from a diverse diversity of Asian voices. And I grew in my love um, for and understanding of Asian and Asian American cultures. And I, and I continue to learn. And so I think in order to grow in understanding and developing a genuine love for, for other cultures, for one another, we have to be willing to step out of our comfort zones. And, and that's the practical step that I'm mentioning here. We have to be willing to step outside of our comfort. What is comfortable to us. I could have chosen to only associate myself with black people while in college because that would have been my safe space. But my, Mm -hmm. but my love for my Asian sisters and brothers, that's (laughs) y'all. It it really grew out of a holistic, um, it it grew out of holistic friendships and relationships because I was willing to say yes early on to invitations, like an invitation to go to a Chinese fellowship. So when, when we experienced um, cultures that are different than ours. We ex- um, we're experiencing different aspects of this diverse God that we serve. God is diverse. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Mm-hmm. So we experience different aspects of God because we're all created in God's image um, and in God's likeness. So um, yeah, I think uh, and, um, finally, just to, because I have rambled for a little bit here, but <laughs> maybe it's a good ramble. I think a few practical. <laughs> I think a few practical things that we can do in order to understand one another is like uh, read about other cultures. That's just very basic, mm-hmm. you know. Just educate ourselves, um, doing some reading or listening to podcasts, um, viewing documentaries and film. Uh, this is just a good on ramp to start and mm-hmm. growing in our understanding, expanding our understanding of different cultures. 
and then um, looking for safe ways. And I say safe because we're in a global pandemic right now, but looking for <laughs> safe ways to fellowship with um, with our neighbors, the ones we're called to love, mm. be it the grocery store or mm-hmm. post office, you know, and so on and so forth. Yeah, thank you so much for those tips. And they sound like ones that are, I don't know, we should just think of them, but sometimes, you know, we we don't. It doesn't really cross our minds. <laughs> yeah, it's easy to overthink. I know for me, I'm an overthinker. And then someone will just step in and say, hey, have you tried this? I'm like, oh, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> I should have thought of that like 20 years ago. <laughs> it's true, yeah. And sometimes you just go with what is what is obvious. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah, and you know what you're talking about? It really reminded me of, Acts 2, um, Mm -hmm. when the disciples are sent um, to just go break bread in people's houses, right? Mm -hmm. It's just Mm -hmm. as simple as that. Just hang Mm -hmm. out with people, eat with people, fellowship with people. Um, And and that kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier. It's like, it's a two-way relationship Mm -hmm. when we're doing missions. It's not us giving all the time and, you know, saving people. It's it's really just Mm -hmm. building that foundation together and leading them to the ultimate relationship with, yeah. which is with Jesus Christ. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, Thanks for sharing that. In Christian world, we, we, we say this, you know, leave room for the Holy spirit. <laughs> and I, <laughs> and so my encouragement is like, Hey, just show up and be you, be you, the fullness of who God has created you to be and let the Holy spirit do the rest of the work. We don't have to be the ones doing the heavy lifting. Let the Holy spirit do the leading and the guiding, just like this conversation today. The Holy Spirit has mm-hmm. been, I think, a part of this conversation and has helped guide this conversation. Um, so I, I would say the same in doing life together with um, with other people. Be respectful, mm-hmm. but be you. Do you, boo. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Thank you. That could be the title of our podcast episode. Yes, <laughs> do you, boo. <laughs> people will be like, what? <laughs> so. Cam, actually, speaking of, um, I finally remembered the name of the book. Yes. It's called Helping oh, yeah. Without Hurting. Ooh. Oh. So we did a nice little uh, Bible study on that, and I think it went fairly well. I It was a couple years ago, so it's one of those where I, I kind of want to revisit it because I can't remember all of it except for the general concepts. Um, but it was a really good study just about pointing out how sometimes, you know, we do have to check our motives because mm. they might not be, um, or while the motives might be, uh, we might have good intentions, it still might not translate the other way or be received as well as we want it to be. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I think that's just general good, healthy communication practices. That's so good. Yeah, that's so good. And then making sure (laughs) I love, yes, that. And then something else that came to mind because I just thought Mm -hmm. of like this insurrection and all this other stuff that happened in this country this year. Yeah. Making sure that um, the that we're not following a a theology that has been hijacked or. uh, Yeah, because I just think some people just downright will take Christianity and and use it when, when they're, I guess it does tie back into motive. So as well, but like some people Mm -hmm. have just hijacked uh, Christianity and they're, if 
if they were living 2000 years ago, Jesus would have called them Pharisees or a generation of vipers. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm quoting yeah. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah. It's so true though. Sadly, it's so true. Yeah. So the last question that we have for you, um, it kind of stems off of what you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's kind of like, you know, I think our younger generation and the culture nowadays for the youth, um, they're really actually starting to get involved with, you know, standing up for each other mm -hmm. and, and doing whatever they can to just make sure those who are being marginalized are having a voice. Mm -hmm. And so one question that we had from one of our listeners is what are your thoughts on getting involved with movements that aren't specifically aligned with biblical values? Mm. Thanks for asking that. And I'm, I'm careful when I give my thoughts um, in terms of people receiving that as advice. Um, of course, I'm, we're all giving thoughts, right? But I, I would say this. I'm not the conviction police. <laughs> I'm not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and, yeah. and so I encourage people to follow their convictions. Um, because honestly, I, I, ministries that have turned blind eyes and deaf ears to issues of social Injustice are not, in my opinion, aligned with biblical values or teachings of Jesus. Many make mm. claims of being, I'm going to go here. Many make claims of being pro-life and yet have, have said, haven't said a word about the deaths of black people and brown people or and Asian folks who, you know, we, we've seen killed or attacked or are the countless numbers of First Nations or Native American women who have who've disappeared. So I... Mm. I don't know if I have as big of an opinion on, let's say, the so-called movements that are not biblical as much as I do on the Christian movement that we are part of. And, mm. and I think it's our Christian duty to live out Jesus's call for us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So this is a time, as I said earlier, of reckoning for the church especially the mainstream Christian church here in mm -hmm. the United States of America, we must ask ourselves this question, who are our neighbors? These two questions, who are our neighbors and how are we proactively or actively loving those neighbors? If we, mm -hmm. I think if we were to do that well, then the movements would join us <laughs> instead of many of us having to feel compelled to, to uh, join some sort of movement outside of the church because of, you know, the church's complacency or blatant ignorance of, of many church leaders, I, I think the movement would join us. And so my words, I know these words may come across as unpleasantly firm for um, church leaders in mainstream Christianity in USA, but we face a very harsh reality and we cannot afford to allow our silence to continue to discredit our, our Christian witness. Well, thank you so much, Eric, for you know taking some time out of your day, joining us, and um, letting us start to slightly unpack this huge, huge conversation, and you know giving us some advice on how we can proceed with more conversations mm -hmm. like this with people who aren't like us. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing and joining us today. <laughs> You're welcome. We're learning together. We're in this together. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. 